0: everyone, and welcome back to episode 6, the last episode of this Unmute podcast. I'm your host, Kimberly Walker, and here with me to discuss and reimagine the scenes in the play again are Jenna and Trish from Women's Crisis Services of Waterloo Region. And just a note, if you haven't already listened to the full audio drama, things will make more sense if you go back to episode 1 and start with the full original version of the play. Okay, scene 6. So this was a barbecue that happened, and... Let's see, what was there? There was a bit of a dispute over water in the cooler, where Haley was going to go to school, just some tension between the two families. And we'll remember that Scott was drinking heavily and so he was intoxicated and things escalated. The the teens went on a walk and then when they returned, things were so escalated to the point that Scott was grabbing Dawn by the arm in a way that was hurting her. And then when Ryan tried to intervene, Scott ended up punching Ryan in the face so very dramatic not so peaceful barbecue and I guess now is the time to just talk about that scene like yeah what did you think what was is? I don't even know if there's things that the characters could have done differently um, in a tricky situation like that but would love to hear your thoughts
1: yeah I felt like The characters were trying their best with what they had. I mean, it was very tricky. You know, it started at the beginning with Scott drinking so much. So that was already kind of, oh, maybe this isn't a great time to bring this up. But you could see the other families trying to kind of do something to help. You could tell they really wanted to help, like talking about plans for university for the girls and how they could go on this trip maybe to go see some different universities. And when I was listening to that, I was thinking, OK, because they they don't want the daughter to be in the home for another year because Scott kept saying, you know, she's going to stay here and she's going to live here and go to the local college or university. And he was very controlling. So I, I felt like the family was trying to do or say anything that they could to try and remove the daughter from the situation a bit, which was kind of them. I I just don't know, yeah, what they could have really done at this place or time to make things better.
0: Hmm. Okay. So given that... Um, If we had a magic wand, we could go back, we could change time or change what happened in the past before this scene. Is there an alternate scenario we can imagine that would be better that they could have done before so that things didn't go as poorly at the barbecue? I'm not sure.
2: Yeah, I think you're right. There isn't any one obvious thing that went wrong or uh, an obvious solution to the scene. I think in a way it's almost it actually works out well because it's public. He is openly being abusive. And I think sometimes people aren't really sure if that constitutes abuse. But the, you know, the controlling behavior he talked about, you know, he was really fixated on Haley's location being turned on on her cell phone. So that's sort of like almost surveillance, so to speak. And he was really confrontational right from the beginning. The audience, I think, is under the impression that he's intoxicated He talks about having had alcohol, wanting to have some more, and really just on edge already. So then it sort of explodes into this situation in the scene. But ultimately, it's all out on the table. So everyone in that scene witnessed and heard what happened, as opposed to earlier in the play when it's sort of one person telling another, like with the girls talking before and then Addie telling her dad, Jay, and it was really hard for Jay to believe it at that point. But here at the barbecue, it's there right in front of his face. But
0: yeah, at least the characters are all on the same page about what's happening. And, and maybe it could be interesting to talk about either like what they can do going forward or what they could do if they had a, a do over um, instead mm-hmm. of all being together that day.
2: Yeah. I mean, a do over would be sort of like if Dawn could be separated from that situation earlier on, potentially maybe Dawn and Barb together could call resources for support like a crisis line um, to get some, you know, ideas of what to do. What are some options for Dawn? Because it it doesn't necessarily mean Dawn wants to leave the relationship. And I know in our work, we talk a lot about client self-determination. And a lot of the time, the Dons might decide to stay with the Scots, and that's absolutely fine. And we really focus on what can we do to best equip her to be as safe as possible, and to have some options for what to do if, if and when things escalate. So I guess you know, in an ideal world, you could wave a magic wand, and you Dawn and Barb maybe could go off and and call for support. Uh, But really, I don't think. I don't know that I would change anything in this scene. I think it actually worked out okay. And it opened the door for the group to to act on what they saw.
1: Yeah, I think even if they were able to get an opportunity to go away and make a call... You know, things aren't going to change in an instant a lot of the time. A lot of the time, these things take time, I think. And maybe it's as simple, like this probably would have happened over weeks and weeks of someone first saying to Dawn, oh, I have a number of a crisis center. You might want to call or at least look at the website. And it's going to probably take her some time to even make that mental shift of what's happening to me, um, okay, am I okay with telling anyone? And it's probably going to stretch out over some time, so I don't know if we can even assume that if we could get her away and make a call, like Trish said, everything would be better and she would go to an emergency shelter and her life would be fine. I don't think it's that simple, but I think everyone in that situation was doing the best they can. And I think as long as someone could get those resources to the daughter and the mom and keep checking in on them, keep being you know as kind and compassionate as they can and everyone kind of doing their best and making sure that they do have the support and resources they need, I, I think that's best case scenario.
2: Yeah, I agree. I think it's always hard to make that initial call for support to someone like a professional, I guess. It's easier to, in some ways, it can be easier to tell a friend or a family member or someone you trust. A lot of the time, we hear that women, you know, are nervous to call. They don't know what to expect. They don't know what the person on the other end of the line is going to say. But it would be, yeah, I guess it would be great if Dawn and Barb could make that call together and that could be a way for Barb to show Dawn
0: her support. Thanks. Yeah. Why don't we have the actors try that? We'll imagine that somehow Barb was able to invite Dawn over um, to share some info about women's crisis services and they were able to talk about making that call. Maybe it happens before the barbecue in an alternate universe or maybe even after things go south at the barbecue, um, getting her friend into a safe place to make the call could be a good step. Okay, so based on that suggestion, we'll imagine an alternate reality where Jay has convinced the guys that he'd rather go to a sports bar for his birthday. And this has given Barb a chance to connect with Dawn about her concerns, to talk about that together.
3: Want another cupcake, Dawn? I'm having one. <laughs> oh, It's been so long since we've had a girls' night.
4: Yeah, this turned out great. I'm surprised Jay wanted to go out to a pub with the guys instead of having the birthday barbecue here. That's not like him, is it?
3: Well, the truth is, Dawn, I kind of put him up to it. I've been wanting to have some girl time to talk with you about something important. Oh? I'm worried about you, Dawn. You're not yourself. You seem really tense, and something's not right.
4: Oh, sorry. I've just been tired. I didn't mean to worry you. I'm fine, really. Don.
3: I really care about you and I want to help. I've talked to Addie and Haley and they're really worried about you too. Don. Haley said that Scott has been hurting you?
4: Oh. My. She said that?
3: Yeah. She's terrified that it's just going to keep getting worse. It's really impacting her. She's so, so worried about you. And so am I, Dawn. I want to help. And I've heard that there are people, agencies, that help with this kind of thing. Because it's actually quite a common problem. You're not alone, Dawn, and it is not your fault. And there are people that can help.
4: I didn't realize, Haley, that she heard... Oh, Barb, I don't know what to say. I'm so confused.
3: It's okay. You don't have to say anything if you don't want to. I can imagine it feels really complicated.
4: I just keep setting Scott off. Making him upset. Oh, he would be so angry if he found out we were talking about him like this. Barb, I can't.
3: Hey, it's okay. I care about you both, and I am not here to judge anyone. I know that you love him, Dawn. I just want you to be safe. Thanks. Thank you. Can I tell you what I've learned about the crisis services in town? There's a shelter, like you'd imagine, but other services too. I wrote their number down for you here on the sticky note. It's the number for Women's Crisis Services. But I wrote Great Nail Place at the top, just in case you want to take it for later and don't want to have to worry about Scott finding it. I'm a pretty smart cookie, eh? (laughs) I talked to them earlier. They're really nice. I respect your choice, Dawn, and I am not trying to make you do anything. But I thought maybe getting the guys out of the house could give you a breather and give you time to make a call to them if you want to learn more about the kinds of supports they offer.
4: Huh. That actually might be a good idea.
3: We could call them together if you want. Or I could give you some privacy. It's
0: totally up to you, hun. Okay, thanks, actors. Let's stop there. Okay, good good job, Barb. I can imagine that that might not have been easy. How did that conversation go? How did it feel to you?
3: Uh, It was really hard. Number one, I was really nervous to talk to my friend about what I had been told, and... I just wanted to make sure that she was safe, and I wanted her to know that I'm someone that she can talk to, and I was trying to be as non-judgmental as possible and just be a good friend to her, but I also wanted to let her know that there are people that she can reach out to, and there's people in town, and there's safe ways of doing it, but I also didn't want to push her into a certain direction, so I just... I wanted to know I wanted her to know that I was here for her and that there are people she can talk to.
0: thanks, yeah, it sounded like you'd you'd kind of done your homework beforehand, so you came to the conversation with lots to offer her how How was that for you Don um yeah uh,
4: i um it's still a really scary thing to try to talk about, um and I was nervous about talking about Scott you know, behind his back and how he would feel about it. Um, but Barb made me feel really comfortable. And um, even when I tried to change the subject, she still was, you know, c- persistent, but gentle. And just, you know, letting me know that she was worried about me. Um, and she talked about how much Haley was worried and was being impacted by this, which I really hadn't realized Um and it it made me feel like I needed to talk about it um, and maybe go to someone else.
0: Yeah, thanks for sharing that, because I think that's actually pretty common. I've heard other domestic violence experts say that often women aren't aware um, of the fact that their kids know and aren't aware of the impact of abuse on their kids. But once they realize that, that's a, a pretty strong motivation to try and get some help. So I wonder if that would be the case for Dawn as well. So now we'll jump back in the scene to the point where Dawn, she's over at Barb's and she decides that she does want to make that call. Whenever you're ready, actors. We'll pretend she's just um, just called.
5: Hello? Can I help you?
4: Uh, well, I got this number from my friend who said that you help people who are having trouble in their relationship. Is this the right number?
5: Yes. Yes, that's right. This is Women's Crisis Services, and I'm so glad you called. Are you somewhere safe to talk right now?
4: Uh, Yeah, I'm at a friend's house, and my husband is out with his friends at a pub. He'll probably be another hour or so, so I have some time to talk.
5: Okay. That's great. And before we do anything further, would it be okay for me to grab your name and your phone number?
4: Okay, yeah. I'm Don, and yeah, it's 519-653-2422.
5: Thanks. And that's your cell phone, Don? Yeah. Okay, so if I call this number, and it should be you that picks up, right?
4: Well, yes... But uh, sometimes my husband, got might pick up, actually. And he might not like that I've called you, so maybe you shouldn't...
5: Okay, so, um, maybe I could say that I have the wrong number. If anyone else picks up. And we have a private number, so he wouldn't be able to tell where I'm calling from.
4: Oh, okay. That's good.
5: And I'm assuming I shouldn't leave a message for you, either.
4: No, he checks my messages.
5: Okay, got it. So... Could you tell me a bit more about what's been going on for you, Dawn? Is there anything we can help you with?
4: Well, sometimes my husband loses his temper and does and says things that he feels really bad about later. I know it's not healthy, but I thought we could hold on just a bit longer. I thought we could manage it. But now I'm worried about how it might be affecting my daughter... My friend told me that she thinks we need help. And she told me that there are different options, like there is the shelter, but also other kind of relationship supports?
5: Yeah, that's right. So we provide shelter services and outreach support.
4: Okay. What is outreach support?
5: Well, outreach workers meet with our clients in safe places in the community. So, you know, not everybody wants to come to a shelter or leave the relationship and outreach workers meet with a woman, you know, where she's at. And they work with her to assess her level of risk and then help her make a safety plan for a bunch of different scenarios. Outreach workers also help with connections to other resources in the community. There's really a lot out there. You know, things like legal support, if you need it, or individual counselling, group therapy for women experiencing abuse, education about the effects of family violence on children, you know, all that kind of thing. Outreach workers know about the agencies and programs available, and they help women get connected.
4: Okay. Wow. Okay, that sounds good, I think. But it's a lot to take in.
5: Yeah, fair enough. There are a lot of supports available. But an outreach worker would let you move at your own pace, and make your own decisions about what kind of support would be right for you.
4: Okay. Yes, that would be good. Where do we meet, then?
5: Well, um, sometimes outreach workers meet in a coffee shop. Or, whether permitting, we meet in a park or go for a walk outside. Sometimes women come to our offices at the shelter. You know, we can be flexible. Is this something you'd be interested in? Should I have one of our outreach workers follow up with you, Dawn?
4: Yeah. I think that would be good.
5: Okay. Great. So let's talk about a time and a place that you would be safe to connect with an outreach worker. And after that, we can also make a, a mini safety plan, you know, together for tonight. Just chat a bit about how you can stay safe over the next couple of days.
4: That sounds good. Thanks.
0: Okay, so we've chatted about scene six and we've set up the idea of an alternate reality where... Um, Dawn was able to find a safe space where she can learn about the services that are available through places like Women's Crisis Services and um, decides to make that call. For listeners who might not be familiar, maybe you folks could walk us through the kinds of services that your agency provides, what that journey might look like for your average client. Yeah, just anything that you want to say about what it looks like when someone gets support from you folks.
2: Yeah, I mean, without talking for hours, I think that it's really tailored to the person and their situation. So typically someone might call our crisis line or support line, which is staffed 24 hours a day with trained social work staff. And so that conversation typically focuses around gathering information about what, you know, what leads the person to call and how might we be able to help them. So I won't review exactly what happened in the crisis call that was just played, but, you know, we generally make sure that people are safe to have the phone call. If they're calling on the phone, let's just go with that example. Make sure that we know how to connect back if sometimes we get unexpectedly interrupted or sometimes they might need to hang up the phone really quickly but in addition to gathering that phone number also knowing like is it actually safe for us to call you a lot of the time it's not uncommon to have not a code necessarily but sometimes the woman might say you know sure you can call me at this number but if anyone else other than me answers you know pretend that you are the assistant at the dental office or or something like that which would be agreed upon so that she knows, oh, it was actually so-and-so from Women's Crisis Services calling me. I'll call her back later. And then really, like I said, just gathering information about what's happening and how can we help. So sometimes if safety is at imminent risk, we would do, we have obviously an assessment that we need to do. And then if we have space, we would invite a woman to stay at one of our shelters. If we don't, we would, we have the responsibility and obligation to call other shelters to determine who does have space and arrange for her to get there safely. So, and that's something, it's not just our shelter that does that. It's a common practice among shelters to, if they don't have space available, to seek space elsewhere to make sure that that person can be somewhere safe. Then once a woman comes in, Again, it's assessing their their safety, doing a safety plan. Uh, we actually have a number of different safety plans according to the particular situation. But then it's working with her to figure out what, you know, what are her goals to getting towards living a life independently and what constitutes, I guess, success for her. So sometimes women go back to school. Sometimes they are looking for work sometimes it's a matter of I can get out of bed and live the day. Um, So really just meeting her where she's at, working on her particular goals and doing whatever we can to help her get there. And then ultimately when she leaves the shelter, um, sometimes she might go back to the person that used abusive behavior towards her. Sometimes she might go somewhere independently and That's her choice, and we honor her choice and support her to be safe in whatever that choice may be. But in addition to shelter, then we also have many more women who access support through us through the outreach program. And it's similar support that they receive through that program, it's just not living within our shelter walls. So we still do safety planning, we still do service planning, I guess, so to speak. So, really, getting at what are the goals, what is she looking for help with from us, what can we help her to access and achieve, and working with her to do so. And so it just looks a little bit different, obviously. She may still be living at home with that particular person. She might be staying at a friend's or whatever.
0: Part of a safety plan sometimes it sounds like could be if someone doesn't want to go to shelter, where could they go? Do they have a friend? or another safe space that they could go to. Like I'm thinking of of the barbecue, what might've happened afterwards. Maybe Barb could say, okay, your family's staying with us for a bit. That could be part of a safety plan if Dawn happened to have one.
2: Exactly, yeah. Like a safe place to stay is really one of the first things that we talk about in a safety plan. So that's absolutely right.
1: I would think, too, like making the safe exit, like even things before that, just if they weren't in that barbecue setting, if they were somewhere else, like even just making sure they have a bag with a change of clothes and keys and license or passport, whatever you have. Because if they're leaving, they might not be going back. So just making sure you have some of those things, especially if it is really escalated at that point and you need to get out right away.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Like all the important documents, having them all together in one place, in a consistent place that you know where that's at. In a moment's notice, you can grab it and go even like 30 bucks for taxi fare, all those sorts of things. So, yeah.
1: Also, like we always remind people that leaving is the most dangerous time and it's when violence is most likely to escalate. So I don't even know if the friend saying, "Okay, you're just staying with us after the barbecue. I don't know if maybe that would have been the right time or not, because I don't know what would have broke out at that point since things were already quite heightened. But maybe even just her knowing that maybe at another time when Scott's at work or something, they could come over or when he's not around to get them alone, because you just don't know what's going to happen when he is there.
0: Hmm. Right. Thanks, folks. I think this is really helpful conversation because... For me, at least, I wouldn't have thought of those things that you just mentioned, like the bag or the heightened safety risk. And I bet a lot of people who are in this situation for a first time wouldn't have thought of that either necessarily. So being able to call you who are people who have walked a lot of others through similar situations, that's a really valuable resource in our community. So I'm glad you exist. Wish we didn't need you, but it sounds like we sure do. So thank you. So something that might be worth mentioning or chatting about is that even though we've used often the the pronoun he or him to talk about someone being abusive and she or, or assuming that the victim or the person being abused is a woman, I'm assuming that's not always the case. Anything you folks want to share about, about that or say?
2: Yeah, I think you're right. Like, it's not always the case. It is we're using those terms generally in this context, but we know that. And we do also know statistically that typically gender-based violence is violence perpetrated by a male against a female. But for sure, there are instances of all genders being perpetrators and all genders being survivors of this. Hmm. So I think that's a really good point. Thank you for mentioning it. It's a sort of a generalization in this particular instance, but we definitely recognize that it looks many different ways.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, there are resources and support services out there for everybody. At Women's Crisis Services, we focus on helping women and children, but there are support services in any area that you're in for others who need support too, whether it's general counseling services or others. Gotcha. Just out of
0: curiosity, like people of minority genders, so I'm thinking maybe a trans woman or someone who uses the pronoun they, them, would they be able to access your services?
2: Yes, for
0: sure. And
2: that, you know, we do see trans women come in from time to time, whether it's at the shelter or through the outreach program as well. So, yeah, for sure.
0: Good to
1: know. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that because I think that's important to note. Trans people often do face uh, higher rates of violence than other groups, too. So they are definitely welcome here um, and we will do what we what we can do to support those individuals.
0: Good to know. Thanks. So that has been some really helpful suggestions and conversation, and I just wanted to thank both of you for being here, for your time, and for sharing your insight with us, because I think I've learned a lot through this project, and I'm hoping that our listeners will have as well. Is there anything else that you maybe wanted to say but didn't get a chance to, or, or anything else that you, thoughts you want to leave us with?
2: I think for me, I'll just say, yeah, it's absolutely been a pleasure to be part of this project, and I think what I hope people take away more than anything is that you don't have to be an expert to make a positive difference. And so hopefully people can listen to this and get some ideas or suggestions for, oh my gosh, what should I do if you know someone I know seems to be in the same situation, but ultimately take the pressure off. You don't have to be an expert. There are many options of ways that you can help So I hope people take that away.
1: Yeah, I think so, too. Thanks so much for having us here. Um, It it has been great. And I think this will be really helpful for people and give them another tool and resource to think about what they can do to help if they know someone in a situation similar to this. What are things that they can say or do? Because I think it's so complicated and it can be really hard in the moment. And again, these things do take time. So I think just for everyone to remember that it's a journey. Um, It's going to take some patience and understanding and compassion because things might not uh, always go the way that you think. But, you know, as long as you're there for your friend or family member or neighbor and you're doing your best to get through it, I think that's that's all we can do.
0: Thanks for listening to Episode 6 of the Unmute Podcast. I'd like to thank Trish and Jenna from Women's Crisis Services of Waterloo Region for being here to share their insights with us. Thanks also to Erin Brandenburg, who played the role of a crisis worker in this scene, as well as our actors Lindsay Middleton and Frances Lazelle for their interventions. Unmute was directed by Erin Brandenburg, dramaturged by Sukpreet Sangha, and co-written by Lindsay Middleton, Cedric Martin, and myself, Kimberly Walker. Unmute was sound designed and edited by Michael Houston. Music by Andrew Penner and Joe McClellan. Our actors in this piece were Duncan Gibson Lockhart, Frances Loizel, Lindsay Middleton, Calvin Peterson, and Yusuf Zine. On Me was produced by Cedric Martin, and I am your host, Kimberly Walker. If you've enjoyed this production, you can find more of our work at theaterofthebeat.ca. This program was made possible by DART, the Domestic Assault Review Team of Waterloo Region, Women's Crisis Services of Waterloo Region, the Family Violence Project, the Waterloo Region Crime Prevention Council and Keeping Families Safe Campaign, as well as Mennonite Central Committee, Ontario. Thanks for joining us. Bye.